We're on? Okay, the lady's not going to say either. It's being recorded? Okay, great. All right, we are in the uh, uh, end of our series, The Gathering Storm. Probably next week will be the end of it completely. In this last section, uh, we've moved our focus from last year's books, The Gathering Storm, and... Uh, Live Not by Lies, to The Coddling of the American Mind and the iGen book. The Coddling of the American Mind addresses what the authors claim to be three great untruths that are really encompassing this generation, the iGeneration. First one is that children are fragile and they have to be protected uh, in this sense, overprotected. Really what children need is challenge and some guided risk experience. So the focus on safety above all else has raised a generation that has not a lot of understanding or an ability to evaluate risk. And so for the most part, they avoid risk. Second one is emotional reasoning. Uh, the focus on one's emotion as being the most authentic person of who they are and through which they interpret their experiences that can't be questioned because that makes for an unsafe environment. What this does is open them up to the passions and the lusts and the issues of the flesh and selfish desires that we talked about last time. The third one is this good-evil dichotomy, the us-versus-them kind of thinking. It's a simplification of humans into good people and evil people uh, with a we-versus-them mentality. That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, the we versus them thinking. It's an interesting notion if you think about it because you would expect from a hyper radically individualized culture that they would not have a we versus they kind of mentality. They would see everybody as being somewhat unique and therefore we need to be understanding of who they are and allow them their space as we allow our space. But that's not what's going on. Part of what I talked about last time in the Q&A is that this combination of uh, experience being emotionally addressed, which can be manipulated, and the fragility and fear of unsafe situations has really kind of stampeded them into kind of a lockstep groupthink. And that has created some problems. Now, this notion uh, is problematic for the older generation. The older generation is very aware of individuality. We've lived long enough to understand that we thought one way at some point and we think different now. And therefore, we're a little less certain of everything that, that we uh, talk about. But the younger generation, with this being protected and with this uh, emotional-based thinking, really see things in black and white. That's the way it is, right and wrong, good and evil. And they are then easily manipulated by a media and school system that reinforces that kind of notion. They are really influenced by what are called uh, cultural influencers with their stampedes. So what I want to do is look at this as to what it is, then I want to look at it biblically for us to um, address that, and then at the Q&A we can talk about those things. 
we versus them thinking is the idea that people fall into two categories. The categories have different names, but basically there are only two categories. One is good, and the other one is evil. And if you're good, you are tolerant, and you are accepting, you are seeking equity, and you hate the evils of the past, and anyone who's associated with those evils. That means that if somebody at some time in their past said something or did something that is now identified as a major evil, you are in the evil category. There is no thought of change, no thought of repentance, no thought of forgiveness. It's a matter of just, we find something we don't like in your past, you're in the evil category. The younger generation doesn't have much of a past. So it's much easier for them to think of themselves as in the good category. And the self-righteous category in the, in the sense that they think that as a good term uh, from that framework. So their fragility has kept them from being evil. Their emotional thinking allows them to feel strongly about issues even if they're not thinking clearly about those issues. And their dichotomy thinking, this we-they thing, allows them to place people in the good and evil category. And therefore, it's okay to go against those evil people. Now this is reinforced by politics and the rhetoric in media, especially social media. And you hear things like this, Democrats are good, Republicans are evil. LGBTQ plus people are good, and religiously oriented people are evil. People who want equity are good, and people who question whether equity is even possible are clearly evil, right? Now this is hard for traditional thinkers, as I said, because we have a tendency to realize that there was a time when we held very different views than we do now. Part of that is the development of experience and critical thinking that brings about wisdom that is absolutely not there in the younger generation. It doesn't mean they're foolish. What it means is that wisdom is based on a growing experience database that you reflect on and you begin to make value decisions different than you might have. It's very easy when you are either young or inexperienced to be convinced of something by a very simple argument. And it's not till later that you may think through those arguments and say, wait a minute, what I thought might not have been correct. This dichotomous thinking, which isn't really thinking, it's feeling, is, has intensity and it allows a mob mentality that justifies violence when opposing goodness. Now we've seen this throughout history. Clearly there were religious zealots in the Crusades who thought it was okay in the name of Jesus to kill fellow Christians who thought differently. And to burn heretics at the stake and to go after the uh, Muslims in the Holy Land to retake the land for God. We can get whooped up into a zeal that thinks we're doing God's work when in fact we're violating his commandments. And this is also possible in a secular context and the current culture war. This allows people to paint others with a broad brush. We are the good ones, but they are evil and so wrong. 
Now we're seeing this particularly this week as people are threatening the lives of the Supreme Court justices based on a perception that they are evil because of a document that was leaked that's not a final document. And most of the people who are the most up in arms have not read the document or what it says. They are just whipped up into this idea that there are evil people and they need to be killed. And there are good people and we need to be righteous in our violence. That's a scary thing. So I want to return to the text that we were at last week. Galatians 5, 16-25 because I think these are related concepts. In verse 16 of Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit it's talking about here, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do the things you please. If you are being led by the Spirit, you are not under what would be the condemnation of the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and those kinds of things. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have warned you again, that those who practice, notice the word practice, those who habitually move in those directions will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So if we live by means of the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. This passage that we looked at last time, Paul understands human nature as the ability to walk in an evil direction, following the flesh, or in a good direction, following the Spirit, which is consistent with the commandments of God. Now you could look at these verses and create, in your thinking, a we versus they manner of thinking. We are the good ones, we are the righteous, we are obeying God, and they are the wretches who are sinners and not obeying God. They are on the path of death and we're on the path of life. You could, you could do that, but you can't do that if you know the whole scriptures. So I want you to turn to another passage so that we fully understand the apostles' theology. And that is Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, we're going to pick it up at verse 7. Paul says this. What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to no sin except through the Torah. For if the Torah had not said, you shall not covet. Right? I wouldn't know about coveting. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the Torah, sin is dead. Now, what is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. And you all know this. The minute somebody tells you, 
you can't do this, or don't do this, or don't whatever, there is something in us that just says, we'll see about that, right? There is a desire that rises up as soon as the prohibition is there. Like turn jello, the foot wants to go for it, right? There's that thing. You say, I'm going on a diet, and your body says, you want to bet, right? That's just what happens. Now, that's that issue that Paul's talking about. As soon as the Torah said, thou shalt not covet, I was coveting everything. That's what he's saying. Now, he goes on, and he says this. I was once alive, apart from the, the Torah, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the Torah is holy, and the commandment is holy and right and good. He says, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. The problem's not with the Torah. The problem is with us. So rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. There is a knowledge. When you see the commandments and the glory of God and the righteousness that God wants, when you really see it as it is, you realize you can't get there. You just can't get there. So, Paul says in verse 14, For we know that the Torah is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold into bondage to sin. What I am doing, I do not understand. I am not practicing what I like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I am agreeing with the Torah, conferring that the Torah is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. But the willing is present in me. I want to do good. I want to follow God. But the doing of the good is not there. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. But I practice the very evil I don't want. If I am doing the very thing I don't want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. <clears throat> For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, my flesh is serving the law of sin. Now, this is a concept that makes it clear that in Paul's theology, the problem is not between good people and evil people. It's between good and evil in each of us. We were created in the image of God. 
And there is a part of us that yearns to be obedient to God and do the right thing. And then there's a part of us that says, how can I shortcut that? How can I have my cake and eat it too? How can I get ahead? Both of those are true about us. Every one of us. So it's not correct to put people in the righteous column, the good column, and the evil column. We are all a mixture of good and evil. Now Judaism understands this uh, and describes it in this way. That within each of us is a yetzer, a tendency, an urge towards good. A yetzer hatov. And a urge, nature, a sense towards evil. A yetzer hara. When I was a kid, the cartoons were great. And there was always a cartoon where somebody had to make a choice. And a little angel would pop up on one shoulder and say, this is what you should do. And a little devil would pop up on the other shoulder and say, don't listen to that dipstick. You need to do this because you know that's what you really want to do. That struggle that the person had between that urge towards good and that urge towards evil is exactly what Paul's talking about. And he says it's inherent in all of us. We all have that. Every human being is created in the image of God. And because of the Imago Dei, because of the image of God, we have that spark to do good. And the part of us that is most associated with that is the spirit of us. Our own spirit. And our mind is part of that spirit. But the other part of us, the body and the flesh, that has the appetites and the desires and the emotions that we talked about last week, are pulling us in a different direction. And you know that, because you've experienced it. Anybody who's honest with themselves experiences that and understands that. Now, I believe that's the truth of all people because that's what the scriptures say. And therefore, the human struggle is not between groups. The human struggle is in ourself. And to put people in, these people are all good, blinds us to their Yetzer Hara, which is present. And to put people in this category, they are all evil, blinds us to their Yetzer Hatov, and we tend to forget then that they are made in the image of God. So our battle is between ourselves, not a battle between groups of people. All people come short of the glory of God, including and especially those of us who claim to know God. And this is why repentance is foundational to the gospel message. Not a single repentance. I get nervous when I ask somebody about their spiritual life and they say, I accepted Jesus when I was in sixth grade. That's nice. But you're 47 years old now. Uh, what's happened between sixth grade, right, and, and 47? Where are you struggling with God now? Is there a faith struggle in you now that you are trying to 
go in the direction that God wants instead of the direction that you want. Particularly in a culture like ours that says you should follow those feelings, you should follow those urges. Or even worse, those feelings and those urges are coming from God. Scary, scary thing. So how do we address this with our children? Well, first of all, all children need to be taught about their Yetzer Hara and their Yetzer Hatov. They need to know that you have that struggle and they need to know that they're going to have that struggle. And that struggle is going to get worse as they become teenagers. Because that movement from childhood to adulthood is a real struggle with the flesh and the world and the devil in that framework. So they need to understand that they have a good side that is part of the spiritual nature that they have, and they have an evil side that is part of the sin nature that is in their flesh. And because of that, because it's in the flesh, it's a more immediate to our experience than our spiritual. It's very easy for the physiology and the, the, the outer man to take control of the inner man more than the inner man taking control of the outer man. That's why we have to have our minds transformed by the word of God. We have to resist it, and we have to strive to follow the spirit of God. And you know if you've done that, that's not easy. And they need to know that's not easy too. This requires transformation of the mind and an internalization of the word of God so that we think, speak, and act in accordance with the commandments of God. Not to be seen, but because it is genuinely coming out of the spiritual maturity and sanctification that we are growing in grace and in knowledge of the Lord. They need to understand that they are never going to be completely able to do good. Because of these bodies of death, as Paul describes them. Thank God, that's what resurrection is about. The resurrection will be the changing of our body. And the changing of our body like unto his means that that sin nature will be gone forever. But in the meantime, that's why we have confession. I have done you wrong. Here's what I did. Restitution. Let me make it as right as I can. And forgiveness in Christ and with one another. And remember that God requires that we get forgiveness from one another before we seek it from him. If your brother has hot against you, go make it right with your brother. Then bring your gift. And we also need to participate in the community of faith because we need reinforcement. There is enormous amount in our culture that wants to feed the sin nature and the flesh. Not only feed it, it wants to cherish it, it wants to celebrate it, it wants to push it in the face of other people. But we need God and we need each other. We have to understand that There are people who are in this battle who resist it. And there are those who don't resist it. And they may become prone to becoming even more evil. Believing that they're good and that their emotions are good. 
while we need to not associate with them, we need to remember that they are uh, objects of God's love. So we need to be light and salt to them. One of the things about Jesus that I think gets misunderstood is that he was interacting with unbelievers. And people say, oh, he's hanging out with sinners. But he was not being influenced by them. They were being influenced by him. You can be out there among them if you are influencing them for good. But if you come back and you realize they've been influencing you, you should not be out there. So we're to avoid people, especially so-called believers, who are following their fleshly evil side. And we're to associate with those who are resisting their own flesh and their lusts. But that should not lead us to dichotomous thinking that we are good and they are evil. That creates judgmentalism and that is always ugly. Because once you become judgmental, they will find something that you did and it will be there. And they will use that to discount any influence that you can have on them. We all have evil even though we are striving to be good. And those who are following their lusts in evil have a capacity for good. That's why we're told to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And one of the reasons that we're to be ready to share the good news, the gospel, is to help people fight this battle. We have a tendency to do the gospel this way. Come to Jesus, say you're a sinner, and he takes it all away. And now, you're good. When I made my profession of faith, my spirit may have been changed. But my mind was right where it had been, and my flesh was just budding, you know, because I was an early teenager. And, and so I actually became worse after becoming a believer than I ever was before I was a believer. But I was told that all you had to do was say these magic words and God would change you. Your spirit, he will change. And if that change is there, you will now find yourself in a struggle. A struggle in the renewing of your mind and a struggle in the crucifixion of your flesh. And the funny thing about the flesh is you kill it one day and it's up the next morning at 5 a.m. In my case, it's up before I am, right? So it's got a head start on me and I have to watch out for that, right? We need to understand that we're all in need of God's grace and mercy and the forgiveness found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we have hope that our bodies and this flesh will be changed at the return of Jesus when we are resurrected and or changed at his coming. So, people who view themselves and other people as good and evil, categorize that way, engage in a dangerous self-deception and the result is more often greater harm than good to others and to society. And this is becoming the deception of our culture. It's being fed by this fragility that we have imposed on the iGen generation so that they don't have much understanding because they've been overprotected. 
and then they are being encouraged by the culture and the world to follow their emotions because that's the truest sense of who they are. And they are easily manipulated into seeing anybody who doesn't think the way they've been told to think as evil and anybody who thinks the way they've been told to think as good. Even to the point of being violent towards those people. Those three lies are contributing to this gathering storm that we've been talking about. So next time I'm going to conclude this, it'll be the 20th part of this series. That's a little long. And so you probably have forgotten most of this stuff at the beginning. I'm going to try to summarize it and wrap it up. But it's really important that we work against these three untruths. We have to make sure that our children do not grow up fragile. They have to grow up um, not not uh, hardened, but they need to have guided experience that gives them the beginning of wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord. And they need to be able to not follow their emotions, but understand their emotions. Again, we don't want them denying their emotions, but they're not allowed to let their emotions cause them to sin, which means they need to know the Word of God to know when this behavior is wrong. I may feel like this person is so wrong that I need to do something to them, but I'm not allowed to do that. The commandment to love all people, especially those who are of the household of faith, to be at peace with all people, especially those who are of the household of faith, is part of what I'm supposed to do. And then finally, got to be very careful that we don't group people. There is no person in any group who matches the group. We interact with individuals. We never interact with groups. When I teach the diversity class, I always tell the, the students, you're not going to counsel blacks. You're not going to counsel Christians. You're not going to counsel Asians. You're going to counsel a person who may or may not have influence from those groups in their life. You have to get to know that individual. We must understand that every unique person that we meet was created by God uniquely and has unique experiences. Even twins growing up in the same home and the same environment end up being very different. So we've got to watch out for this dichotomous thinking of there are good people and there are evil people. Um, Every group has good people more prone to goodness and more prone to evil. Uh, The real battle is in the individual. And that battle begins in you and I, and then in the communities that we associate with or that we avoid. Let's pray.